a pursuit, oh Lord, that it will definitely be embodied in us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So the resource material we are using for our Bible study is our presiding bishop's book on the pursuit of Christ. So uh, we would like to recommend it as we, we keep on repeating so you can get it on Amazon. It's only the Kindle edition that has been sold on Amazon, the hard copy. You will have to get it in the headquarters. Amen. And uh, the book is $4.99. So it's, no, $3.99 rather, not $4.99. $3.99, so that's $4. So but when you buy a Kindle edition, they don't add taxes. It's just straight. So $4, amen, and you, you will get it. So today... We are, going, we are going to chapter 3. Last week, we started from chapter 1, and chapter 1 talks to us about the pursuit of Christ. And we spoke about one of the major ways by which we can pursue Christ is through knowledge. And we looked at the uh, scripture from Second Peter chapter 1, which talks to us about um, grace and peace will be multiplied to us through the knowledge of Christ. And we did learn a lot from that last week. So, aside receiving the person of Christ through the knowledge of God, which can be found in the Word of God, we also came to realize that one of the additional benefits that will come through our quest in pursuing Christ is that we shall receive grace and then peace, which led us on to do a bit of expose on grace. And when we read James chapter five, chapter four, I'm sorry, the Bible lets us know that he gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. And then in that context of the scripture in James chapter four, we saw who was the proud and who is the humble. And in James chapter 4, verse 8, the Bible lets us know that the humble are people who depend on God. They are not resisted. Amen. So we, we, came, we came to that conclusion that when we pursue Christ, when we foster and build our relationship with Christ, it speaks to us of our humility because that means we are dependent on Christ. And with that we are going to receive more grace. And I, like I said last week, the grace that you are experiencing now is not all the grace that there is to experience. There is more grace. There is more grace. And the nature of grace is it's magnanimous, it's abundant. Um, you, you can't really define grace because it's abundance. Grace the best way I can talk about grace is just like the sea. You can't define the sea. The sea has no parameters. That's how grace is. And you can experience more of it. And one of the ways by which we experience more of it is when we pursue Christ. Amen. So today we are moving straight to chapter 3. No, I'm not going to do chapter 2. We're going straight to chapter 3. So I believe if you buy the book, uh, my, my, our intention is not to preach the whole book. Our intention is just to sort of give you an icebreaker of the book so that when you buy the book in your own spare time, you will take time to read the book. Amen. All right. So today we are looking at how do we pursue God? 
how do we pursue God? So the author, which is our presiding bishop, gave us three ways by which we can pursue God. Amen. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. And last week we did talk about the scripture. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, or I do not regard myself to have obtained, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Amen. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, or I do not regard myself to have obtained, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Amen. So right here, you, we see three steps in the way by which Paul goes hard after Christ or after God. The first has to do with how he viewed himself. He said, I have not obtained. I haven't achieved anything. In the book of Philippians, like I keep on telling you, this was Paul's 25th year of conversion to Christianity. And in 25 years as a Christian, Paul had achieved a lot. He wasn't just a believer. He rose to the ascent of an apostle. Not just that, he was a functioning apostle. Okay? He, he planted churches. He preached the gospel in almost the entire region of Asia Minor. Uh, he was an apostle to the Gentiles. He raised sons. On record, Timothy was a son. He raised protégés. Timothy was, um, Titus was one who was a protégé. Right? He raised so many people, wrote many books, wrote over half of the New Testament, basically. Most of the foundation that, that, that makes up the main crux of the New Testament are from the epistles of Paul. He had achieved a lot. He was a man of no mean repute, but yet he was saying that I have not obtained. I haven't obtained. And that's a big lesson. No matter how far you may have gone in the things of God, or no matter how many virtues you may have chalked in the realm of the Spirit, still come to a place to say, I haven't obtained. Because the day you come to a place of, I have obtained, you will not have a quest to do anything, especially when it comes to spiritual things. Paul's pursuit of Christ rose out of a profound dissatisfaction of the way he is and what he had achieved. He had, he had no satisfaction. And that is really going to help us. So the first point to pursuing God is to have a strong thirst. You can't have a strong thirst when you are satisfied with yourself, when you clap for yourself when you haven't even 
cross the finish line. There's no time to clap for yourself. So that was Paul. So the first step is that we will have to develop a holy dissatisfaction with our spiritual life and stand in the mirror of the word. Like we said last week, God's mandate for every believer is that we've been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. When do we finish conforming? We, we don't finish conforming. Until Christ comes, we are always going to keep conforming. Conforming to the image of the Son of God. Conforming. More of the love of God. More of the fruit of the Spirit. More of everything. More of certain things dropping out of our lives, you know. Maybe you used to struggle with this and now you don't struggle with that. Maybe now you are working on this. We are always going to be working one way or another so that we can conform to the image of the Son of God. Because like we looked at the scripture last week in 1 John 3, as he is, so are we. That is the predestination of a believer. The predestination of a believer is not to experience a blessing per se. The predestination of a believer is to be conformed to the image of the Son of God so that when the road is caught up yonder, we will be with him in the hereafter. And you can't be with him in the hereafter if there is no semblance. So that's what we are called to. And we never finish. And for us to even conform to the image of Christ, we have to develop a holy dissatisfaction of where we are. Where you are is not all there is to be. There are vistas of glory ahead. And likewise, that principle applies if we want to pursue God. You have to have a thirst. And for you to have a thirst for God, you have to develop a holy dissatisfaction with your spiritual life. Don't, don't, don't just clap for yourself. Maybe you were used to praying 30 minutes. Now you pray one hour. Don't clap for yourself that you are praying one hour. Otherwise, you will settle. Push ahead. Maybe like, you know, I'm saying, we, uh, last week, we, 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 we threw the gauntlet. In this year of pursuing Christ, make it a goal that you read the Bible cover to cover. Let that be your goal. Okay, you may have done that challenge. You may have read it cover to cover. Okay, this time, make it a goal that you read the Bible cover to cover twice in a year. Is it always shift the goalposts? Never come to a place of satisfaction. So, like Paul, we have to learn how to develop a holy dissatisfaction. Otherwise, we will not press. And that is the secret to Paul's pressing. He pressed because he developed a holy dissatisfaction. So, Thank God that you may have achieved some milestones in your spiritual walk with Christ and in your spiritual journey. But don't camp. Don't camp. Be, be, be a, tent, a, tent, a tent dweller. You pitch your tents. You pitch your tents. 
you pitch your tents. You, you have to keep on moving your tents. And in the area of pursuing God, we have to do that. Amen. So that's the first way. Amen. We have to develop a holy dissatisfaction. So maybe you read 12 books in a month. Or no, 12 books in a year. That's one book every month, Christian literature. Make it a point that I'm going to read 24. Why don't I do two? So don't, don't settle. Don't settle and clap for yourself. It's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Don't settle. Develop a holy dissatisfaction. So tonight, I pray that all of us, may God give to us the gift of holy dissatisfaction to press on, to press on and pursue. We have to be like David. Go, please, everybody go and listen to presiding bishop's message on Sunday. He really conveyed the heart of that message. My soul follows hard after God. What does that mean? He broke down that statement. That's David's cry. My soul follows hard after God. So we have to follow hard after God. May God make us hard followers. But to follow hard after God, we have to come to a place where we grow dissatisfied of whatever we have achieved. That's why Paul, this, he wasn't a novice talking. This is Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul who has written almost half of the, over half of the New Testament. This is the same Apostle Paul who the Bible says he went into the third heavens. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe. Yeah. He went into the third heavens and the things he saw it was unlawful for any man to utter. This is the Apostle Paul we are talking about. Yet here, in his 25th year of conversion to Christianity, from Judaism to Christianity, he said, I have not obtained, or as the King James, the traditional King James said, I haven't attained. Not achieved anything. I haven't achieved. I am just like a beginner. I press on. So let's grow dissatisfied. Don't, don't be satisfied. Thank God for the level you have reached today, 11th January, 2023. You may have reached some levels, but be dissatisfied. Because if you are not dissatisfied, you will not have a strong thirst to pursue God. And without that, <laughs> you are just on your way to being a backslider. Let's see what happens when you have a strong test. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want you to note the word hunger and note the word thirst and note the word filled. These three words are the operative words. Hunger, thirst, and filled. So it's a spiritual principle. Whenever you come to a place of hunger, a place of thirst, God fills it. And in this context, it's talking about hunger and thirsting for righteousness. God fills it. Therefore, when we have a hunger and a thirst for pursuing God, it shall be fulfilled. It's not going to be a quest that will be left unfulfilled. It will be fulfilled. So let's all come to the place of having a strong thirst. That's how you pursue God. Pursuing God means you will read the Bible. Pursuing God means you will spend time in prayer. Pursuing God means you will spend time doing worship on your own. You don't have to wait for Sunday service before you worship. The average Christian may never do worship again till we come to church and we hear the worship leader say, shall we lift up our hands to the Lord? You worship on your own. A person who is pursuing God, who has a heart of pursuing God, will pray on his own, will have prayer retreats on his own. When you hunger and when you thirst, it shall be filled. So tonight I pray that may we all have a dissatisfaction of our present Christian development and less hunger and thirst for more. And the first hunger and thirst should be we want to pursue God. My soul follows hard after God. And when we do that, the Bible lets us know he will fulfill it. Amen. The second principle in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, verse 13, I'm sorry. Forgetting what lies behind, just as the scripture said. Brethren, I do not consider that I have made it my own, or I do not regard myself to have obtained. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So the second principle is you have to forget what lies behind. Amen. Uh, when the author put this point together, he was not really talking about forsaking memory. Because memory has a place in our spiritual work with God. Some battles are won by remembered mercies. The point is not to never look back, but he is talking about you don't have to substitute nostalgia for hope. And when we are talking about nostalgia, it means that maybe a, a place that you have been before that you felt good and you know, that, that kind of thing. No, not that. So 
we should we shouldn't we shouldn't come to a place whereby the experience of the past will cripple us to the point that we are not able to move forward. So that's the author's heart for forgetting what lies behind. And in this world, for you even to press on, you have to let go of different kinds of memories. The memories of success and the memories of failure. If you can't let go of these things, you are not going to press forward. The memories of success will make you smug and self-satisfied. The memories of failure will also make you feel hopeless and paralyzed in moving forward. Uh, so if you want to move forward, you will need to drop those things. Forget what lies behind and press on. It's not telling you to develop amnesia. But it's telling you that don't let the past experiences, either good or bad, prevent you from pursuing. And in this Christian work, there are many memories we have. Memories of victory. Memories of conquering certain things, certain addictions, certain sinful habits. Memories of certain powerful testimonies. On the other hand, too, we also have Memories of defeat, memories of sadness, memories of succumbing to our flesh, memories of feeling that maybe the devil won, but he didn't, you know. Mem memories of even disobedience. All these things can be there. You have to learn how to let it behind so that you can press on, press on. Press on. Look at Lot's wife. That's why it's a typical example. She looked back. It, it was so difficult for her to look forward to perhaps what God had in store. Because Sodom and Gomorrah was a prosperous place. It was a prosperous place. Maybe in her mind, where can we go that we can find a more prosperous place than this place? It was too hard. And when she turned back, she became a pillar of salt. She may stand still. And sometimes that's life. We, we have to let go and keep pressing on. For David, for him to even succeed in the Palace, he had to press on. He was a young kid. He had to press on. Press on from the identity of, I am from the house of Jesse. It was hard. He had to press on. He had to press on. Look, Moses, he had to press on. It was tough for Moses. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he had to press on. He had a comfortable life. He had to press on. So that's what it means. You have to press on in hopes of not letting that experience keep you locked up 
from pursuing what God has for you. And today, what God has for us is, I want to form relationship with you. That is lively, that is powerful, that you will not see me as an abstract thing, but you will see me as a real being. But for that to happen, press on. Forget what lies behind. Since I cited the example of Moses, let's read Moses' story. It will help. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. So verses 23 to 29 of Hebrews chapter 11 just focuses on Moses' story. But we are just going to look at verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, so when we look at the second point of forgetting what lies behind, Moses encapsulates this point. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. And being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter had a lot of privilege. Had a lot of privilege. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was letting go of a lifestyle of privilege, a lifestyle of luxury. He let go. It should be behind. I'm pressing forward. Then he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Pleasure and affliction, what are you going to choose? Averagely, everybody will choose pleasure. Who wants to go through affliction? He chose to suffer affliction. Affliction is not enjoyable. Affliction is not endured. Affliction is suffering. He suffered affliction than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He chose to suffer. When Moses left Egypt, he went to stay at the backside of the desert for 40 years. Much was not written. And I am very sure that it wasn't anything pleasant to write about. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. Then not just that, he esteemed the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Why? Because he looked forward. So he had to forsake 
to look forward. He forgot about what lied behind to look forward. And not just that, by faith, he forsook Egypt. Egypt was a prosperous nation. Egypt was well developed at that time. Egypt was the beacon of civilization. Who wouldn't want to live there? When you live there, you have better prospects. He forsook that, not fearing the wrath of the king. So look at everything Moses put behind just to look forward. So in our Christian work with God, we have to let go of some things. They should just be behind so that we can press forward. And Paul did exactly that. He said, I put it behind. And when we are talking about that, like I said, we are not saying have amnesia. Like we said, some battles are won by remembered mercies. A typical example is Psalm 77 verse 11. Some battles are won by remembered mercies. So God is not telling you to completely forget what God is saying that don't allow certain experiences of the past to hold you from going forward. Don't let your past experiences make you a prisoner of the present that it will affect your future course. That's what it means when we say forgetting what lies behind. Amen. So that's how I quote Psalm 77. Let's just read it. Psalm 77, verse 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Amen. So when we say, forget what lies behind, I hope we can now make a difference between that. Amen. So as believers, we are supposed to remember. We are supposed to remember the acts of God, remember the testimonies of God and those things back. Nostalgia, guard against nostalgia, which will make you a prisoner of your presence that it will affect your future. Amen. All right, so let's look at the third one. The final step in going hard after God is to strain forward to what lies ahead. So Paul provides a perfect illustration of this when it comes to pushing forward in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 25 to 27. First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 to 27. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable wreath, but we are imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest I should be disqualified after preaching to others. 
So Paul here talks about how to go forward. The way to go forward here is to go hard with all the discipline and self-denial of an athlete. That's the only way Paul was talking about, to go forward here. So we have to go forward. And when we are going forward, this should be the picture that should be in front of us. The picture here conveys to us the self-discipline and the self-denial of an athlete. That's the only way an athlete is going to go forward. As we self-discipline, has to have some principle of self-denial. Otherwise, the athlete, the earthly athlete, is not going to win. Now, we don't use briefs. Olympics, now we use medals. You know, when Paul was talking about this, he had the picture of the Olympics. I don't know if you do remember the 2004 Olympics in Athens when they were going to give the participants their medals. They always give them a wreath and then they give them the medal. The wreath there was symbolizing the culture and was also symbolizing how ancient Olympics used to reward their participants. That's the first three winning participants. So likewise, in the same manner, they will work hard for something perishable, but we work hard for something imperishable. So we can take a cue from their life. That's the athlete. Amen. So if we really want to go forward, that is in the context of pursuing God, we have to develop discipline and self-denial. Uh, God does not promise his riches, his riches of glory to aimless people. Uh, Paul did not run aimless or beat about the bush. He had a plan. It talks to us about discipline. So we have to come to a place where we are disciplined. Discipline in our focus. Discipline in our diet. You know, the athlete is very disciplined when it comes to focus. They are very focused. The person who wins the gold medal is very focused. Spiritually speaking, we have to be very focused and not allow too many things to swerve our attention. Even sometimes good things can swerve your attention, good things. Now we are talking about bad things, good things, noble things. We have to learn how to center our focus on what that is needful if we are going to achieve any spiritual mouse in our faith work with God. Also, our diet. Every athlete is careful of what they put inside because what they put inside, it determines their performance. You can't just take anything. When you're a believer, the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by everywhere that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It's the word. That should be our diet. We should be focused. Every athlete is careful about weight. As believers too, we have to be careful about weight. Don't let too many... Th the, 
the Bible lets us know that when you have the love of too many things, you become very weighty. You become weighty. You become weighty. A typical example is the rich young ruler. He was weighty. He couldn't shed off the excess weight of riches. Is there anything that we love that is in competition with God makes us weighty? So maybe for you, it might not be money. It might be something else. But if it's in competition with your affection for God, you are weighty. You need to drop it. Shed off that excess weight. Otherwise, you can't run well. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a perfect example. It says that we should look unto Jesus, the author and definition of our faith, by shedding off all the excess baggage. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Shed off the weight that easily besets us, and the sin, the sin that easily, and the less lay of the sin, the weight that easily besets us, and look unto Jesus, the author and definition of our faith. You, you can't run to Jesus if you are waiting. It's going to eat it. It's going to eat at your endurance. So wait. You got to take care of that. So the athlete is focused. We have to be focused. The athlete is particular about his diet. We have to be particular about our diet. The athlete is particular about his weight. We've got to be particular about our weight so that we can run the race of faith, the, the race of faith very well. Amen. So today we've learned about three steps on how we pursue God. We pursue God by having a strong thirst. We pursue God by forgetting what lies behind. And we pursue God by going forward. Amen. So I pray that if you have the book, please read and study chapter three very, very well. Amen. And I believe that as you take time to read the book, you will be blessed. Amen. So next week, we are going to do chapter four. Chapter four is the mark of successful people of God. And what is the mark of successful people of God? The mark of successful people of God is that they pursue God. They have the heart to pursue God. So that's what the mark of successful people are. And we are going to look at various examples that the author gave in the book. Amen. And then after that, we'll just have one more chapter to do. So, you know, the book has eight chapters, but we are just going to do four chapters. All right? Just sort of to uh, sort of to give uh, a tease, a teaser, so that we can all take time to read the book. In this year of the pursuit of Christ, I pray that may we truly pursue Christ. And when we pursue Christ, may we truly say that we know him. That's what matters. Amen. I'm done for now. Questions, contributions are all welcome on the floor. God bless you. If you have any question or contribution, it's more than welcome.
as we learn of this tonight, how are you going to apply this to your life? How is this going to help you in pursuing God? What practical steps are you going to take home tonight after hearing this when it comes to the area of pursuing God? Nobody, nobody has learned anything that they will take home on how they will pursue God. For me, one of the key things that you said that really freaked my mind is the fact that not only the bad things can distract us from pursuing God, but good things can also distract us. And that is one of the key things that I think most Christians don't really factor that in. Anything that substitutes the place of God, regardless of how momentarily it could be satisfying, but there shouldn't be anything that should take the place of God. And looking at the text you use about David, that this I follow hard after thee, O God, is a sign that I don't allow anything to stand between this pursuit. So I think for me, that is one of the key things I'm taking. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Who has any question? I just wanted to um pass just I just wanted to add to um kind of what um Pastor Ben was talking about, um, was forgetting forgetting what lies behind, right? And um I, I think it I think it's 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 something that um a lot of us sometimes may have issues with right forgetting past whether it's good or bad right and sometimes there are some experiences that are so bad that they're hard to forget so i guess the question is because it says to not not to look at it as if like you're not not to say you're never gonna look back right as if we don't have memory of it but so then where is how do you deal with something like that like how do you not allow the forgetting it but not allowing the past to hinder you going forward but still keeping it in memory you know like there's a that's a lot going on going on there if you know what I mean yeah so how do we how do we cultivate that to healthy I hope um, I sound clear my question um yeah 
So like like we said, if you read a book, it will, it will throw more light on that. You you don't you it, it encourages you not to have amnesia, not to mm -hmm. forget, especially when it comes to the tender mercies of God, and that's the scripture I read. But not to allow the experience of what you have gone through, the past experience, to make you a prisoner of the present. So I think that is something that we should be able to solve, draw a dichotomy between that. And I, I think the, the way by which we will be able to define that difference all has to do with how we'll pursue God. And it also has to do with perspective. I think the big thing that it has to do with perspective, because when you look at Paul, who is talking about that, you can see a man who has a greater perspective of what, what brings eternal rewards and what is transient. So I think it has to really do with perspective. Perspective as well as will help us to be able to solve, okay, I'll compartmentalize this. This is great. And I will not allow this to be my experience to the point that it will affect what I will have to do today that it will affect tomorrow. I hope, do you really understand what I'm saying? Yeah, so I, I really believe it has to do with perspective. So Paul being able to do that, I think it speaks of great perspective. So we'll have to develop perspective. And one of the ways to develop great perspective is through looking at things by the word of God. Don't look at it through culture. Don't look at it through reasoning. Look at it through the word of God. When you look at things through the word of God, you develop perspective. And you will need perspective to be able to shift things, you know, and not allow certain things to be like, okay, this experience is going to rob me of my presence and not help me to do. Even David is a typical example. Look at what he said. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Be that's a man who has perspective. Ask yourself this question. Was David depressed? Was David happy? Was David angry? We will not know that question. We will not know that answer to the question. But the thing is that he spoke to his soul to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Is it his perspective? He had great perspective of what was important at hand. So he had to make his soul bless the Lord. Perspective. So you can't really serve God well if you don't develop that perspective which comes through looking at things through the word of God. Amen. Mm -hmm. So I, mean, I think perspective is a key thing here. Amen. Amen. As you were talking, I also heard healing of pain in, in addition to what you're saying. Um, uh, as you were speaking about the perspective and um, looking through things through the word of God, I also heard that because when you have a godly perspective, you also have healing. And so, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to to share that too. All Amen. Right. Amen. Who else? 
So what have we learned tonight? What have we learned tonight? I think one of the things that we've mentioned tonight is that um, we are going to be successful in pursuing Christ this year. Then we don't have to um, dwell in the past. We don't have to concentrate on the past, but we have to press on, which does not mean that we just have to forget everything in the past because the past can also be the experience in the past and other things in the past can also be useful. But we don't have to live in the past or um, concentrate on the past. We have to look ahead if we want to pursue Christ. Amen. Powerful. Who else? Well, so let's take one more contribution, then we close for tonight. So I feel like um, I, um, it's it's a journey, like to pursue Christ. Like I'm learning a lot every day, and um, I'm excited about. There's, there's so much to learn and it's really an exciting excited thing to think about but um what really stood out is about the the distractions and things like that we should never become too distract distracted at all when it comes to god like he should be our main focus and we should never let anyone or anything take god's place because they can't so i feel like that's something that will stay with me amen thank you Lily, you are muted yourself so you can't talk. I was going to say that um, if Paul, I mean, a whole Paul said he hadn't arrived and he still had a lot to learn, he still wanted to pursue Christ, then no matter where we've reached in our work with Christ, there's still, you know, more room for um for good. We still have to continue to pursue Christ. Like we shouldn't be content with where we are. Wherever we are, we shouldn't be content. We should want to pursue more of Christ. Amen. Amen. You've made me remember in school, particularly in Ghana, one of the things I really hate was when a teacher wrote more room for improvements. I'm like, what is that? I mean, either they write excellent or very good or good. What's more room for improvement? What is that? I really hated that. I, I really don't know. But I have a feeling that huh, the angels of the Lord, they will write more room for improvement. They are never going to write excellent, very good or good. Never, never. They will write more room for improvement. So we better get used to that. Amen. More room for improvement. More room for improvements. Amen. Father, we thank you. 
Give us that desire. Give us that zeal. Give us that thirst to pursue you, O Lord. This is our heart cry. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.